Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. This series leans heavily towards the Bucks because of their experience, their continuity, their health. I do like this Jazz team as a sleeper. They do a lot of different things well, so I think they get out of this round, they got action. Starting with the Warriors as a three seed versus the Nuggets, you have who could potentially win the MVP and the Joker. I like the Raptors in this series. I look forward to seeing the back and forth on lineup changes, on matchups. On to my awards and picks, MIP, most improved player. I think one of the leaders and favorites for this award is, is John Morant, as it should be because he's gone from star to superstar. First team All-NBA, Giannis, Embiid, and Joker have to be locks for first team. The MVP, this is a tough one. Giannis could basically win it every year, just like Gobert could win Defensive Player of the Year every year. The New Orleans Pelicans are in the playing game. We'll be playing the Spurs. I'm looking forward to seeing the crowd. I'm looking forward to seeing the excitement. I'm looking forward to seeing how our young players respond and I'm happy and thankful to be in this position here in New Orleans to play for our Pelicans on the national stage with a chance to make things extremely interesting as we get closer to the playoffs. Welcome to the 135th episode of Pull Up. That's right, 135 episodes. It is currently Tuesday, April 12th. As I record this, this episode actually will be coming out on this date, April 13th, 2022. And on this date in 2016, April 13th, Kobe Bryant scored 60 in this final game. The late, great Kobe Bryant scored 60 with a 101-96 win over the Utah Jazz. That night was unlike anything I've ever seen in the sports world. It was tremendous effort from Kobe, a tremendous effort from his teammates. And funny story for you, I actually asked Larry, you know, Larry Nance Jr., my current teammate for the uh, New Orleans Pelicans, about his final game with Kobe. And he said before the locker room, uh, in the the locker room before the game, Kobe basically kind of came in and told everybody, I'm going out the same way I came in. Make sure y'all ready to rebound tonight. In true Kobe fashion, he went out the same way he came in shooting, scoring, being aggressive, getting to his spots. And Larry Nance Jr., Julius Randle, and the rest of the crew rebounded and screened extremely well and allowed Kobe to get off for 60 points in his final game. I think he ended up going like 23 or 50 from the field or something crazy like that. He got up a lot of shots. He was aggressive. He got to his midi. He hit threes. And he kind of showed exactly who he is as a player, as a competitor. And I'm thankful I was able to witness that. I'm thankful I was able to watch that. I know Larry says all the time it's one of the coolest moments in his career to not only be able to play alongside Kobe in his last season, but to see uh, the work ethic, the preparation, the competitive spirit, and what went into that final performance. So I I just thought I would share that little anecdote. I thought it was really, really cool, Um, obviously, that Larry got to play with him, but also what went into that 60-point performance. 
for those that don't know, the New Orleans Pelicans are in the playing game. We'll be playing the Spurs. Um, as we're recording this actual pull-up podcast, the Cleveland Cavaliers are taking on the Brooklyn Nets. When this comes out, the game will be over. I think Brooklyn's probably going to win this game. There's some other matchups that I'll talk about a little bit later. But right now, I want to focus on our matchup with the San Antonio Spurs. A very good team that's obviously well-coached, Hall of Fame coach, arguably one of the greatest coaches of all time. Great guard in DeJounte Murray. Obviously, a lot of young wings. A big man in Jacopoto who's very good. Backup center being a friend of mine is Zach Collins. I know a lot of those guys on that on that staff, on that roster. And I'm looking forward to competing against them. I think my approach to the game is, is the same way I approach all games. But obviously, you know, more methodical, more film work, more preparation, more understanding of the significance of this game, what it means for not only myself, but the rest of my teammates in this franchise, uh, giving us a chance to play in another potential playoff game to potentially make the playoffs is extremely important and was the goal, you know, when I first was traded to New Orleans, understanding that we had a chance to make the play and potentially go to the playoffs and now we're here. So I've accomplished one part of our mission and now the next mission is to get this win and kind of move forward. But as I said before, my approach is simple. Attack, be aggressive, be a good leader, defend, understand what the team is trying to accomplish offensively and defensively from a spacing standpoint to a personnel standpoint. I think all those little things are really important in in a game like this one, you know, where it's one game elimination, it's definitely similar to the college atmosphere where you're able to kind of prepare for your opponent you know their tendencies. Uh, you know what they like to do. You know what they don't like to do. Uh, you know the shooters, the non-shooters. You generally know where the help's coming from. You know their sets. You know you know different ways they're going to probably try to counter, whether that's zone defenses, whether that's throwing traps, downing on the sides, all those types of things. So it's, it's definitely a lot more studying film, studying personnel, studying tendencies. And then at the end of the day, it's still a game. So you just got to go out there and hoop. And I think that's been my message to a lot of my teammates. Uh, I think besides myself, JV, uh, Jonas Valanciunas is the only player um, who's played in the playoffs and has that kind of playoff experience and understands how the, the level of intensity raises, how the importance of each possession really truly matters, how it's about adjustments, how it's about making sure the bench is ready, locked in, and how there's always something that happens that's unforeseen. You know, a player that don't, doesn't normally play well, plays well and can kind of change a game. So those types of things are kind of what I've been warning my teammates about. I think the atmosphere will be tremendous. Um, the city is excited. They've been looking for this opportunity to potentially play in the postseason for quite some time. And I know they're going to come out in full force. We've had some playoff-like games, you know, meaningful games against the Lakers, against the Bulls. Uh, I think we finished uh, the latter part of our season at 7-2. and two down the stretch, which kind of shows you the importance of, you know, each game to put us in position to have a home game in the play-in. So I'm, I'm extremely excited about that. I think for the Spurs, it's simple. They've played a, a similar brand of basketball for quite some time. They move the ball. Their bench is great. They execute. They shoot a lot of threes. They get into the paint. They get out and transition and run, and they don't beat themselves. They do a great job of taking care of the ball. X's and O's wise, out of timeouts, they're sharp. They have a lot of ATOs where they're able to put DeJounte Murray in position to kind of create, whether that's getting in the paint, driving baseline, looking for the hammer actions on the back end for three-pointers, and so on and so forth. So uh, I'm excited about this matchup. I think it's great for the game of basketball. I think the play-in, as I spoke about to our media earlier, is good. It's good for the game of basketball. It's obviously good for the ratings. It allows the last quarter of the season to become more entertaining, to become more important to where teams still have something to play for, even if they're outside of the playoff hunt, so to speak, with the eighth seed. They still have a chance to, to get into the playing game and compete not only 
in front of their home fans, but also on national television, which is great for a lot of the young players in the league who get a chance to, to have this type of experience. So once again, I'm looking forward to seeing the crowd. I'm looking forward to seeing the excitement. I'm looking forward to seeing how our young players respond and I'm happy and thankful to be in this position here in New Orleans to play for our Pelicans on the national stage with a chance to make things extremely interesting as we get closer to the playoffs. Looking at the other playing games, I already talked briefly about Brooklyn um, and the Cleveland game that's going on right now as we record this podcast. I think the Brooklyn Nets are just too experienced. Uh, obviously, the star power in KD, the star power in Kyrie, the, the veteran leadership that they have from those guys, and then the skill set from a guy like Seth Curry allows them to have shooting, allows them to have versatility. It allows them to kind of understand this moment and the magnitude of it, and I think they're going to run away and clinch and have a very, very entertaining matchup against the Boston Celtics. Looking at the um, Clippers-T-Wolves game, which is also on today and will be after this, I have the Clippers winning against the Timberwolves, obviously. We'll know the final answer um, when this podcast comes out. But I think looking at T-Lou, looking at the addition of Paul George coming back from injury, the addition of Norman Powell coming back from injury, Terrence Mann, Nicholas Batum, so on and so forth, Reggie Jackson, Morris. They have a lot of players who can score, at three levels, a lot of players who can catch and shoot and a lot of lengthy defenders who can kind of make life difficult for Edwards, for D'Angelo. And then the double teams are going to be coming rapidly for Cat. So I think that's going to be a very entertaining game. And I think the league is definitely going to enjoy watching the Hornets and the Hawks play. I think about a few things when I watch a game like the Hornets versus the Hawks. Obviously, you got young guard star power in the mellow ball. And Trey Young, you have flashiness, you have confidence, you have borderline cockiness and the arrogance that they both have, which is great for our sport. It's great for the fans. I know the kids love it. You're going to have no-look passes. You're going to have crossovers, deep three-pointers, and that's going to be a really, really fun game to watch. But I think I give the advantage to the Hawks, but I'm looking forward to, to seeing a, a very, very entertaining game. There's so much more for us to talk about. Obviously, the playoffs that's coming up outside of the playing game, some, some great matchups in that three to six. And obviously, the one seeds are kind of waiting on their fate to kind of see what happens uh, with this playing game. But some of you may ask, why is he talking about the Clippers and the Wolves game if it's already over? Why is he discussing the Brooklyn Nets and Cavs game if it's already over? Well, I may look like a genius here because I called the victory, or I, th- I thought I would call the victory of the Clippers and the Nets. But if not, then I look like I don't know what I'm talking about, which is also completely fine and a part of sports takes. It's all a part of the game. Once again, make sure you're following the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your shows. Hit us with a five-star review and tell that friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at PullUpPod for fresh content up there all season long. Right now, I'm going to break down the three through six seed playoff series in East Conference and also give my official awards and picks. Starting with the Warriors as a three seed versus the Nuggets, this is a very, very entertaining series. Obviously, you have who could potentially win the MVP and the Joker. You have another player who has won multiple MVPs and also has been a unanimous MVP in Steph Curry, who is questionable for game one and is probably a game time decision. I think the cool thing about the playing game is that it allows players who have gotten injured down the stretch to have more time to recover to potentially make it back for the playoffs. And I think in this particular case, Steph may sit game one. I think the Warriors historically have erred on the side of caution with all their players, but especially their franchise. 
And with Steph Curry having battled ankle injuries in the past, foot injuries in the past, I think it makes sense to probably rest him. If it's close, if it's a 50-50 coin flip, I think you err on the side of caution to rest him. But two things that are really interesting in this series is obviously going to be health, the health of Steph Curry, but also the health of Klay Thompson. He's been playing extremely well down the stretch of this season. He just scored 41 points for the New Orleans Pelicans um, three days ago. He showed explosiveness, ability to have pop in his jump shot. His defensive mobility has looked a lot better in terms of his hips sliding left to right, being able to get contest. And those are things that are going to be necessary because that's a team who likes to switch one through four. And oftentimes, one through five when Draymond's at the five position. So him being able to guard Joker, then being able to send double teams at him, his mobility and also Steph's health will play a huge factor. And then Draymond Green's ability to make three-pointers. Historically, he shot the ball pretty well in playoff series that have mattered. And this is the time of the year where the double teams are going to come. They're going to play out the split post. And a lot of times, he's going to be left wide open. And he's going to have to make a decision as to whether or not he wants to shoot it. Or pass it. So I think what needs to happen for each team is, is simple. The Warriors need to be healthy in order to win. And the Nuggets need to hope that they're able to exploit matchup issues. They're able to get the best out of Joker. And they're also able to get the best out of Will Barton and some of those younger players. It looks like they're going to be without Jamal Murray. It looks like they're going to be without Michael Porter Jr. Due to, to a back injury that has kind of lingered. So the Nuggets hope is that... One, the altitude can kind of get to the Warriors when they get back home. But two, the Joker continues to play at an MVP level, empowers his teammates, and is able to hold down the fort. My official series prediction is Warriors 4-2. I think that they have too much firepower, too much experience, and the injuries to some of the Nuggets' key players will be a huge factor in why I don't think that they will get out that series. But I've been wrong before. I could be wrong again. Looking at the 4 versus 5 matchup, the Mavericks versus the Utah Jazz. The Mavericks probably were favored to win this series uh, before Luka went down with an injury. There's no timetable for his return. I think he probably ends up missing this series. Cav injuries are very, very serious. Could be up to a month. This is where Spencer Dinwiddie comes into play. Great pickup by the Mavericks to pick up Spencer Dinwiddie. He's shown the ability to be able to hit big shots. He's hit some clutch shots down the stretch of games. Um, He can get to the basket. He's a tall guard, and he's confident as ever. So... Look for this series to be closer than what people think. But if there's no Luka, I don't think they're making it out of this series. I think the Jazz are lucky to get out and end up winning 4-2 as well. I think with Donovan Mitchell, Rudy, Jordan Clarkson, and so many other players, the addition of Hassan Whiteside as the backup, they got Bogdanovich. They have a lot of good players who understand how to play roles, understand how to share the ball, and are well coached by Quinn Snyder. Quinn Snyder, I think they're able to kind of escape the first round, but I think the Jazz escape due to Luka Doncic injury and are able to get to the next round. But I do like this Jazz team as a sleeper. They are a sleeper. They do a lot of different things well. They move the ball. They have defense. They have offense. They have a high usage guard in Donovan Mitchell who can score late down the stretch. So I think if they get out of this round, they got action. On to the Eastern Conference. You got the Milwaukee Bucks, the reigning champions as a three seed versus the Chicago Bulls, a six seed. The Bulls have been banged up for quite some time. They've gone through a lot of injuries. Uh, It's been announced that Ball will not be coming back this season. They missed Caruso for long periods of time. And I think that damage may be too much for them. Looking at this Milwaukee Bucks team who, oh, by the way, picked this matchup essentially by losing down the stretch uh, to face the Chicago Bulls, uh, an injured Chicago Bulls team in which they thought they could probably beat to avoid the Brooklyn Nets, get the matchup they want. They get a team who's been extremely banged up, 
who's missing some players. And I'm really looking forward to watching this game. Two things I'm most interested in seeing is obviously Zach Levine in his first playoff appearance in eight years. I'm looking forward to seeing DeMar DeRozan, who's played at an MVP level this season, who for a while was looking like a lock for first-team All-NBA. He still may win first-team All-NBA, depending on uh, um, position and size based on selections. But I think that's the first thing I'm looking forward to seeing. But then also, how the Bucks match up with them. The Bucks obviously, no longer have P.J. Tucker, who was a key part of their defensive stop stopping units. But they do have a Drew Holiday. They do have a Chris Middleton. They do have a Giannis, who's arguably the best help side defender in the NBA. And I look forward to seeing how they match up with those two potent offensive players and when they decide to throw double teams. For the Bulls to win, they need to obviously be able to contain Giannis, but they also need to be able to free up DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine to have a chance. This series leans heavily towards the Bucs because of their experience, their continuity, their health, the addition of Lopez being back to the lineup, the championship pedigree and experience. I think it'll be too much. Greg, the producer, just brought me some news um, in regards to the Bulls and Bucks. The Bulls have not beaten the Bucks with Giannis and Chris Middleton in the lineup since 2017. However, I think they're still going to win one game in this series for a gentleman's sweep. 4-1. Looking at the Eastern Conference, for the final game in the matchups of 3-6, through six, we have the Sixers as a fourth seed without Matisse Thibel in games 3 and 4 and maybe 6 versus the Toronto Raptors, a five seed. I like the Raptors in this series. I like Nick Nurse. I like what he does offensively and defensively from a creative standpoint. Two things I'm interested in seeing most is who guards James Harden and how often they run box and one triangle and two and whatever else Nick Nurse can come up with in order to try to contain Joel Embiid. I think it's going to be a, a bunch of chess being played with, with Doc Rivers, his experience, his coaching staff, and obviously the wizardry of James Harden and Joel Embiid, who is virtually unstoppable. I look forward to seeing the back and forth on lineup changes, on matchups. Do they play DeAndre Jordan at, at center? Do they play the other young fella? There's just so many different components of this game that I'm looking forward to seeing. Obviously, Matisse's impact at home against the Sixers. He cannot travel into Canada because he is not vaccinated, so he will not be able to play in Canada. I look forward to seeing the fans in Toronto. They're going to be excited. We remember how excited they were in their championship runs and beyond. Jurassic Park, if you will, is outside of the arena. There's there's tons of people out there watching, enjoying that brand of basketball for that country. It's 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 a really good series with a lot of great players, a lot of good matchups. Scotty Barnes, who we'll talk about a little bit later, is going to get his first experience in the playoffs. Shout out to my guy G Trent. He's going to be playing in the playoffs, playing a huge role for these Raptors. And I'm looking forward to seeing how everything turns out with them. But I think it's going to be a barn burner. I have the Raptors winning in seven. I got the Raptors in seven. I just think that the depth, the ability to trap, the switchable lineups. Siakam was playing amazing basketball. Freddie V hits big shots. He runs the show. He can orchestrate. He's got a lot of players he can play off of. He's got a lot of guys who are hungry, who can score, who can shoot, who can defend. I'm really looking forward to seeing this game. Precious is is another guy who's playing really good basketball. The development over there in Toronto has been tremendous. I'm taking the Raptors. I could be wrong. But I doubt it. (laughs) On to my awards and picks, starting with Defensive Player of the Year. This is a tough one. There's a lot of great defenders in the league. There's a lot of guys who impact the game 
on that side of the ball in terms of blocking shots, in terms of communication, in terms of controlling de- the defensive rebounds and, and controlling matchups, help side defense, and so on and so forth. However, this year, there's a lot of different players who have impacted the game. Jaron Jackson Jr. having a terrific year for the Memphis Grizzlies. He can guard one through four, probably five. Great help side blocker, long, athletic. Changes the game. Rudy Gobert has changed the game for years. Multiple defensive player of the year awards. Probably could win it every year. Bam, who I think is the best defender in the NBA in terms of his versatility. He can literally guard one through five. He can switch out on a point guard. He can bang with the center. And he's got the ability to to block shots from the help side. Marcus Smart, great on-ball defender. Fights over screens. Can guard one through four. Comfortable fighting for position on fives. Another really, really good defender. However, I'm going with Mike Sale family. Mikael Bridges, Phoenix Suns, long, athletic, has played every game in his career since college. That's right. Four straight years of not missing a game in college. 116 games, 116 starts. Four straight years of playing in the NBA. 82 games times four. You can do the math there. Hasn't missed a game. Guards the best offensive player every night. He's athletic. He fights over screens. He's long. He can get steals. He can rebound. And he has talent on offense to knock down shots, to cut, to hit the pull-up jumper. The ultimate role player, the, the guy who does all the little things uh, and doesn't always get recognized the way he should, I think he should win Defensive Player of the Year this year. I think you should reward winning. The team that has won the most games this year broke their franchise record, deserves to have multiple players, including their coach, win multiple awards. Rookie of the Year. I also want to reward winning this year. I love Cade, another Excel guy. Had a tremendous year. Started off hurt, wasn't able to go through training camp, preseason stuff. Showed that he has flashes of greatness. Tall point guard, can get to the midi, can make free throws down the stretch when you need him to. Heady passer, going to be a good defender based on his length and his athleticism. Love him a lot. Mobley, skilled as they come, can do a little bit of everything. 6'10", can shoot, can block shots, can rebound, has post work, has touch, footwork, and so much more. Great pick by the Cavs. Their future is extremely bright. Huge fan of him. He was my early favorite to win Rookie of the Year. And then Scotty Barnes evolved. Scotty Barnes, love his game. He's strong, plays some five, plays some four, plays some point forward, can run the offense. Is basically the leader in every statistical category for rookies. Averages 14 to 17 points a game. Averages four to nine rebounds a game, depending on the night. Averages three to five assists, getting some steals, some blocked shots. He just does everything. And he's about 6'9", which is, which is crazy to think about. Sky's the limit. His development is improving. I remember playing against him earlier in the season and then watching him on league pass later in the season. His jump shot looked a lot more comfortable. He was more comfortable initiating the offense. The team was more comfortable putting him in positions to do those things, calling plays, getting the rebound and pushing, isolating down the stretch of games, along with Pascal Siakam, Van Fleet, and G. Trent. I'm a big Scotty Barnes fan. I think he ends up winning Rookie of the Year. I could be wrong here, though, because Mobley has been terrific. MIP, most improved player. I think one of the leaders and favorites for this award is is John Morant, as it should be, because he's made a jump. He's gone from star to superstar, which is commendable, takes a lot of work, is very hard. However, I think based on the jump some of these other players have, have made from going from more so role player to star player and beyond ish with the likes of. Darius Garland, with the likes of Miles Bridges, with, with the likes of Tyrese Maxey, who benefited from Ben Simmons not playing this year, was able to show scoring outbursts, was able to show he could lead and facilitate on a team if he needs to be. Big, big fan of all those guys. Really, really love Miles Bridges. 
the development that he showed, averaging over 20 points per game, getting rebounds and assists, highlight dunks every night. I got to go with Jordan Poole, though. Golden State Warriors playing extremely well, becoming more efficient, led the league in free throw percentage this year, can shoot off the dribble, can create, was asked to do a lot more this season, uh, especially when Steph Curry went down, was asked to do a lot more early on the season when Klay Thompson uh, was, wasn't available to the team. His pace has gotten better. His maturity has gotten better. He's in for a huge payday. The Warriors obviously can afford it. And I think this is the year he brings home the most improved player award. On for the gusto, the MVP. This is a tough one. Giannis could basically win it every year, just like Gobert could win Defensive Player of the Year every year. Booker is not talked about enough. 26-5-5, 63-64-win team, franchise record. First in the West, best overall record in the NBA, best player on that team. I don't know if he's the most important player. Obviously, CP is the glue. He keeps everybody together. But Booker is playing at an elite level. It isn't being recognized or talked about enough. Steve Nash won an MVP. Why can't Devin Booker win an MVP? Best player on the best team. I know why. Because <laughs> Embiid and Joker played so well, people have kind of forgotten about how good of a season Booker is having. Embiid is averaging 30 a game. First center to, to lead the league in scoring since who? I think Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That shows you how good he is, how polished he is since Shaq. Wow. First big man to win or to lead the league in scoring since Shaq. Average 30 points a game this year, which is it's just incredible. But Joker is having arguably the best statistical season of all time, according to PER, performance, player efficiency rating, I'm sorry. 26, 27 points a night, 13, 14 rebounds a game, 7 to 8 assists, 53, 54% from the field, over 80 from the line, almost 40 from three. Has been without Jamal Murray all season. Has been without Michael Porter Jr. most of the season. Still led his team to the playoffs. Still a top five seed. Does it night in and night out. Had a streak where he played like seven games in 11 days. Doesn't miss games. This is his MVP this year. But there are some other great players who are deserving as well. But I think it goes to the Joker. On to first team All-NBA. My first thought is that Although you should reward positions, point guard deserves to make it, a shooting guard deserves to make it, a small forward, power forward and center. I think at times that kind of clouds the judgment of the people who put in position to do this, right? Because now you have to kind of figure out, like, is Giannis a center or is he a power forward? Understanding that Joker is a center and Bede's a center, but there's only one center position for all NBA. So does that mean one of them has to go to second team? There's just all this confusion that kind of goes into this and I think it makes things difficult like do you have to put a point guard in there if you have five players who played the best basketball this season that aren't point guards it's tough I'm in the I don't know if I'm in the minority or the majority here but I believe in this type of year Giannis Embiid and Joker have to be locks for first team you just have to figure out how to keep them on first team because they played so well and they're so important to their teams and if all three of them are literally one, two, three in the MVP race, how can you not say they're the top five players in the NBA as, as we stand right now in terms of all NBA? So I got the Joker, Giannis, and Embiid for obvious reasons. Then I go Devin Booker because he's not going to win MVP this year, but he's played well enough to be in consideration. His team has the best record in the NBA. 
He's a three-level scorer, keeping the mid-range alive, gets to the free throw line, can shoot the three ball, catch and shoot, off the dribble, finishes well around the basket, makes his free throws down the stretch, and he's a competitor who loves the game. You can tell he loves the game by his skill set and how he's evolved and how well he complements CP. I think he's a lot to be on it. And the last player I'm going to go with is Jason Tatum because the Celtics struggled a lot this season. Early on, people were doubting them. Can he play with Jalen Brown? Is it the coach? What is it? They make that trade at the deadline. Trade Josh Richardson, and they go on to win, what, 22 out of the next 28, 23 out of 29 games down the stretch. They go from slightly under 500 to the second best record in the East in a hurry. And it's a credit to his development, his willingness to start passing, and also how well they defended as a team. Obviously, they're missing their big men now, which is tough, and they're going to be challenged when they play uh, the Brooklyn Nets in the first round. But I really like his game. I like how he's evolved, and I think that that should be the first team All-NBA, but it probably won't be, and there are a lot of other players who deserve it. But that's just my humble opinion. Cue the wine music, please. I haven't been drinking as much down the stretch of this season because obviously I've been locked in and focused, but also I've been living out of a hotel by myself, so it's not as fun to kind of drink by yourself. But we have a lot of team events with the New Orleans Pelicans after games, team dinners, things of that nature, and I love sharing wine with friends, family, teammates, and peers. And recently at our team dinner in Sacramento, after our Sacramento win, I had a ballerine wine. Uh, Jeff Clark, shout out to my guy Jeff Clark. He introduced me to this vineyard a few years ago. This is a wine from the Russian River Valley. Um, so, you know, the California region, that area outside of Sonoma. Very good wine. I had a 2018 Pinot Noir. More light than bold, more smooth than tannic, more dry than sweet, a little bit higher in acidity. Super, super fruity in terms of the cherry, the red fruit, buttery, plum, black chocolate and a little bit of hints of tobacco in there. I really, really enjoyed it. One of the top 14% of wines in the world, top 48% of the Russian River Valley, which is one of my favorite um, valleys of wine, obviously outside of Oregon. And this paired well with beef, deer, poultry, and so on and so forth. Or like as I always say, it, it goes well by itself too. Just let it decant for a little bit because it's young. But a wine I really like, I highly recommend this. I recommended this before um, to people. Uh, price point fluctuates, you know, in that, you know, I'd say 30 to $80 range, depending on the year. Um, so something that you guys definitely may want to check out. But it's time for me to lock in, get some treatment, hydrate, and get ready to go to sleep so we can try to get this win against the Spurs. Thanks for checking in this week. As always, be sure you're following the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your shows. Tell a friend to tell a friend and hit the show up on social at Pull Up Pod on Twitter and Instagram because we're posting fresh content there all season long. And as the saying goes, don't forget to pull up.